Hi, this is Laura Benedetto, author of The Six Habits, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. Joining me today is Laura DiBenedetto. Laura teaches how to create the life of our dreams without sacrificing what we love. As founder and CEO of Vision Advertising, a company she built at age 19, she's helped hundreds of entrepreneurs build, grow profitable enterprises entirely on their terms. She lives on the island of Maui in Hawaii and is here to talk about her book, The Six Habits, Practical Tools for Bringing Your Dreams to Life. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. It's really nice to be here with you. Same here. Laura, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? That would be my dad. He is an interesting, multifaceted human being who chose a lot of the wrong things and ultimately transformed himself to choose a lot of the right things. Give me a for instance. My dad was disabled when I was a year old. He flipped a disc in his back. And as a result, he ended up having a slew of medical issues. And for many years, he was really grumpy. And that's probably being delicate about it. He would opt out of fun. He would not do positive things. He was just always, oh, I can't do it. I'm in pain. Oh, I've got this problem. And oh, I'm dying. Okay. So he would just opt out of life. And I never understood that as a child. And it inspired me in a tremendous way to not do that. But it also inspired me when I was about mid-20s. And I noticed that he made a powerful shift where he decided to stop putting his life on hold and started to really purposely decide to live his life despite the pain, because the pain was going to be there anyway. And he started choosing better. And he's just a remarkable man. And he just chose to be a victim earlier. And he powerfully chose not to be a victim after. And I'm so proud of the man he is. He's, he's very fun, very fun-loving, very present, and he now makes amazing choices, and I'm so, so proud to be his daughter. Oh, nice. And when he made that choice, what did it signal to you? Because I'm sure that must have been profound for seeing him for so long make a choice that led to pain, that led to isolation, that led to a real limited lifestyle, that when he said, you know what, I'm taking a sharp right turn. This is no longer the path that I want to go on. What was that like for you? Well, I was exhilarated because I saw the impact of his choices for so long. I didn't get to do fun things with him. My brother didn't get to do fun things with him. He was, you know, really making my mom suffer because she didn't get to do fun things with him. And, you know, she got married so she could have a pal and a partner in crime and her best friend by her side, not someone that just made life difficult. And in choosing himself, he by default actually chose his family also. And it was, it was just, Beautiful to see, really, because the, the results continued to compound, and he just started changing his perspective from avoidance of pain to the pursuit of pleasure, even if it was going to hurt, because you're going to be in pain no matter what, based on the disease that he has, but just live your life. And the fact that he chose that, I always wanted to, him to do that, but the fact that he chose it, yeah, it had a really profound effect on me, where I was like, 
I was just so like wowed and really, I almost just like, I almost began to love and admire my dad even more for the strength of character he displayed. Was that something you and your brother either individually or together conspired to help influence him to make that choice when you were younger? And then finally he chose it on his own. It's like, no, probably me to a smaller degree, but you know, I was a small fry and all I did was, you know, like I wanted to play and you know, when I didn't get to play, I complained. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people don't take the complaints of little kids seriously. I was no, no exception to that. And, you know, I think the, the biggest influence was my mom and her desires for things to be different. And so she's the one that put in the most work to get him to change his perspective. But at the end of the day, he had to choose it. It was him. I think it's just remarkable that you had the awareness as a, a child and as a teenager growing up that there was a choice involved. It wasn't just the way dad is, but he has a choice. And for him to validate it where you could understand and appreciate it and enjoy it all the more, I, I just think is so encouraging and inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, it, I, I love that I actually had the, the knowledge that it was a choice early on. I, can I point to why I knew that? No, I was a kid. I don't know. I don't even know why I liked Barbies at the time. I just did. This, I just knew. And just the fact that his life is the way it is now and after he changed it was just further confirmation that, wow, we really do choose our suffering and we really do choose our joy. And it's a result of what we do with that choice. You wrote a book about six habits that you call out. And I'm going to just list them now. It's the kindness, the habit of acceptance, gratitude, presence, goodness, and intention. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with that list? And for how long had that been percolating in your mind? I did not have it percolating in my mind very long. I had achieved a certain measure of incredible, to me, career success. And I kind of had to sell my soul to do it. Oh, please explain what you mean by that. I made myself incredibly sick because years of sustained stress will actually take a toll on your physical health. And it did. So right before I moved on from my company, I had been sick for three years. I didn't know what was wrong and it was getting worse. My new marriage was falling apart. I was really just not showing up in the kind of way I'd be proud of with my friends and family. And so, yeah, I, I kind of sold my soul and I had tons of awards, media appearances and all the, you know, success trophies, the car, the house, everything. But like for what? It just, it didn't, give me the one thing I've been looking for all along, which was happiness. So I, you know, back to your question, I didn't know about these habits. They were always there. They're, they're inside of every single human. They're inside of you. They're inside of me, my parents, my dad, whatever. And I didn't know that they were there. And I also didn't know that I'd been defining happiness incorrectly. And I had no idea how to create the real deal, much less know what the real deal was. So when I was done with my career at the marketing company. I spent 19 years building it. I found someone to come in and buy half my company so I could continue to make money and let someone else do all the work. I was kind of hit, hit with a crossroads. I was like, oh my God, I sold my soul basically. I, I'm unhealthy, I'm unhappy, and I have a collection of crap that I don't need. And I'm basically living in a beautiful home that feels no better than a gilded prison. What is the point? So I wanted to define happiness. I wanted to understand what it was, how it could be created, and what happy people had in common so I could be one of them. 
how do you define happiness now? First of all, everyone defines it differently. And that's the most important liberating point that I can bring to this conversation about that. My definition is going to vary from yours. What makes me happy will not make you happy. I guarantee you, you do not want to sit through a Golden Girls marathon with me. But if I'm wrong, you're welcome to it. But the idea of happiness for each of us is our fullest state of enjoyment of our lives, whatever that looks like. And for some, it's, it's more humble things. For others, they're more ostentatious things. Other people enjoy adventure. Other people just enjoy like love and things like that. We're all built differently. So our own definitions of happiness vary wildly. I just think it's so important for each of us to define what makes us happy. It's a list. You could make a list of things that when you're doing these things, when you're with these people, when you're reflecting on these memories, it makes you feel happy, contented, and fulfilled. Yep, exactly. In writing the book, what was your ambition? What did you want to accomplish by putting your reflections and your experiences, and there are many really great stories in the book, what was your hope by putting them all together into, into print? I wanted to actually use a lot of storytelling to really drive the point home that you really, really do not need to be special or be born with all the luck or great attributes, you know, like wealth or good looks or whatever. Like you don't have to be born with those things to be happy. You can have none of those things and be happy. And I, I wanted to make the subject of happiness universal, accessible, and well within everyone's reach, which is why I wanted to use so many stories. I mean, you read the book. There's so many stories in there where I firmly uh, threw myself under the bus or, you know, talked about something that was very painful for me. Because we've all been through things all of us. And there's no value in me trying to show up as someone that has answers for others to share if I, I haven't walked the journey too. There's no value in that. I'm not perfect. I'm not a hero. I'm painfully average in so many ways. And that's a beautiful thing because at the end of the day, a lot of us are. And what we need is a recipe that works for normal human beings. And that's what's, that's what's here. In the book, you talk about wanting to influence and impact many, many lives so that each one of us understands that uh, better is possible for me. That's a phrase that I really wanted to make sure that we covered and emphasized because everyone listening to this can think of a way that their life can be better and that they could take steps to improve it. What is it that keeps that alive for you and makes that such a central point of the way that you live, the way that you teach and help others? I've learned to love myself enough to really understand that better is not only possible, but it's not something to pursue because I'm not good enough, but because it's fun and because I'm very much good enough just by virtue of the fact that I'm breathing. I think it's really important that we choose to take on any personal development work because of love, not loathing. You know, oh, I want to learn how to do this or that because I'm not good enough until I do. Mm -mm. You're never going to grow that way. Not in any sort of real resonant way that's really going to truly serve you. If you grow from a place of curiosity, enthusiasm, joy, love, things like that, it sticks and it becomes a joyful journey that even if it's uncomfortable in heart, it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? This is worth sticking through because I'm actually really enjoying myself and getting much better out of it. It's, it's a mindset. You know, if you approach, like, going to the gym with a, oh, I don't want to do this, you're not going to keep going. You're not going to get a great workout. But if you go with a great mentality of, heck, yeah, 
I'm going to get my workout on, Woo-hoo! you know, and you're like totally into it, you're going to get a better result and really put your all into it. And you're actually going to get the results you came for. And I'm going to come back to that word again. It's a choice. How we choose to head out to the gym, whether it's, you know, turning on a, a video or tuning into some particular exercise routine, it's all about the choice we have every moment of our lives. From your perspective, what happens if you find yourself having made a choice that isn't really in our best interests? If, if you do that, what do you do? I would say I make a lot less of them now that I've done the work on myself with regard to these six habits. But a recent one is, you know, it's a very human moment. Everything that has happened with the coronavirus issue in 2020, at the beginning of it, I found myself feeling very, very low, like a lot of people, right? And feeling despair and hopelessness, right? And I freely admit, I spent like a day in bed feeling like, oh God, we're all doomed, we're we're all going to die, blah, blah, blah. But I caught myself. And I was like, Laura, first of all, the world isn't ending. Two, you're healthy. And three, choosing this is not who you want to be. Choosing to enjoy what you do have and focusing on what good exists in the world and what you have is who you are. Get back to choosing that. So I redirected myself, got myself out of bed and went about living my life in the way that became the new normal and adjusting to it. When we resist the things that change around us, it makes it miserable. And I chose to honor myself and the person that I truly am versus getting sucked into my emotions. As another business owner, someone who's started a business, grown it, developed an ongoing list of clients, and really taken that journey, how have the six habits been a part of that journey? And what kind of perspectives can you share with other business leaders who are listening in about the importance of having these as guiding principles or developing guiding principles and habits that help shape your perspective, your policies? how you treat your employees, how you treat your clients, and run your business. There are two instances of this I want to highlight. There's the before and then the after. So in the before times, before I discovered the six habits, I was living the exact opposite of all of them. I was not kind to myself. I did not accept myself. I took everything for granted. I was totally distracted and checked out, worried about everything, loaded with toxic energy, and I was kind of aimless. Okay. And a lot of people can relate to some of these things. And sometimes it's a mood or sometimes it's a general way of being. So that obviously didn't serve me very well. When I built my company, I could have built it better. I could have retired sooner, richer, happier, all of those things had I had these habits in place. So when I did retire and I still own the company, right? And this is, this is a critical point. I moved on, took some time to rest. Then I created another business. It's all about like helping people to find the joy because I found my own and I figured it out. Then I employed the six habits as the main tools for how I was going to exist in life. And I noticed that it was running company two very, very differently than I had started to run company number one. I totally was kind to myself. I believed in myself. I, I was grateful for everything that came my way. Like just this conversation, I'm very grateful for this. It's wonderful. You know, I'm fully present with it and feeling all the joy from it and moving forward with intention. So the company, not only was it more fun, run better, I'm manifesting loads of good things. Money's easier, success is easier. Everything's like tons more fun. I'm a lot less, like I'm not even that tired from running it. It's just like, I'm like, really? I get paid to do this? This is so cool because I have a perspective within myself that's different. 
Now, here's the interesting part that I wasn't expecting. At the beginning of 2020, obviously coronavirus showed up on everybody's doorstep. I still own my first company. And at the same time that the coronavirus started, our COO, my successor, was diagnosed with cancer. So she needed my help to cover for her while she was out on medical leave. Meanwhile, I already had another company to run. So here I am trying to run two companies in the middle of the world being very alien and strange, our clients having a hard time, and a person I deeply, deeply care about and rely on having cancer and being unavailable. Wouldn't you know, I was worried at the beginning of all of this, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can handle it. What surprised me was now that I am a different human, I'm a better version of myself, I brought all of my habitual thought patterns with me into running my company the second time. And I'm the best leader I've ever been. I'm kinder. I'm more supportive. I'm, I'm finally proud of who I am when I'm running that company. I'm not tired and burnt out. I've been able to take on challenges and really like solve the problems for my clients. And just the way I'm showing up, we're able to make money. Every single person on my team is still employed. And, you know, it's massive. And if I, I swear, if I had not done this massive work on myself, I don't think that my first company would have survived everything that has gone on with the economy. I just don't think so because I wouldn't have been qualified or strong enough to be able to steer the ship strongly through the storm. Yeah, there are a lot of external forces that come into our lives that make it challenging to run our businesses, to maintain relationships, to stay in touch. Because when you have your life satisfied and you're able to satisfy your needs, you come to solve situations from a very different mindset, don't you? When you're pressured, that's when you start to feel a little bit out of control. What is it that's helped you remember how to come back to that mindset of being present and kind and feeling gratitude and having positive intention? All of those six habits combined. What helps you navigate back to that when pressure situations came up, particularly in this past year? It's interesting that you ask these that way, because the truth is, habit is something that we do repeatedly and unconsciously. In building the behaviors, the first time, it was not unconscious, and it was very conscious, and it felt weird. But once it actually becomes a habit, it's actually your default. And it has become such a thought pattern that it didn't occur to me to be any other way. And even looking back at some of the decisions that I had made in the past, I was able to see things differently in moments where I wasn't expecting something like, for example, with the, uh, you know, the, the pandemic issues. That's new and that tested me, but I was still showing up in the new habitual way that I had trained myself to. You know, it's the crazy thing. You learn, you just, you, you get in the habit of redirecting yourself. You, uh, like, it doesn't even occur to me to be unkind to myself ever. Like I don't walk into a situation ever anymore and thinking, oh, I can't do it. No, I know I can do it. And it's just a question of how. And it's, I don't know, it's not even on my radar anymore because I don't exist in those bad habits. And it's like having coffee every day. I don't have to think about it. I just do. You know, I don't know if you have coffee every day, but I have my one and only cup and it's just the thing I do. Same with the, same thing with the other things. Like I had to do the work to cultivate the mental habits so that I don't think about them because the habits are only a means to an end. They're not the point. I'm the point. You're the point. Listeners, you're the point. Like the habits are really all about giving you your best you so you can have your best life. 
right. It's not about achieving um, oneness with the habit. No, no, it's actually like if, if you're really good at the habit, you stop thinking about it. Like it doesn't like I don't even think about kindness anymore. That's how good at the habit I've gotten because I've successfully reframed my default. So like if someone mentions kindness, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really good at that. I mean, obviously I talk about it a lot because I'm, I'm the author. But like you see the point, like if you get so good at it, you stop thinking about it. Sure. It's like thinking about walking. We don't think a lot about walking. We just walk. Bingo. Great metaphor. So, Laura, how did you get so good at taking important values and translating them into habits that at first needed to be consciously applied in order to be competent at it and then later became unconscious? And how long did it take you to feel it really sink in? The process is going to be the same for everyone. It's a four-step process. Number one, no matter who you are, you have to learn what the habits are. I did that. And now that I wrote the book, other people can do that um, without having to do all the research that I did. But the second step is you have to figure out where you are now. I had to go through that journey. It's like, okay, well, if these are the six pillars of a happy life, which ones am I good at? Which ones are kind of shaky? And which ones are like, ooh, abysmal, right? So figuring out just where you are now, then where are you going? What is mastery going to look like for you? So in my case, I was actually good at some of these habits already, but kind of bad at others. So intention, being an entrepreneur, I've always been pretty good at it. Probably needed to get much clearer and more consistent with it. So I did. So I'd give myself maybe a six out of 10. But when it came to the subject of acceptance, my friend, I was probably a two. I did not love myself. I did not have any respect for myself. And it showed. Right. So I had to figure out where I was and then figure out, well, what would it look like if I accepted myself? Well, I would be I would unconditionally love what I look like. I would wear what I want. I would not chase successful you know, status symbols to please others. I would only go after what I wanted and I would live more in alignment with who I actually am versus how I think other people want me to be. So that's what it looked like for me. The fourth step, which is the most critical, which is what you directly asked about, is living, like actually acquiring the habits. And, and really, like, you know, dentists will often say only floss the teeth you'd like to keep. That's true. But my dentist was like, hey, you, you need to start flossing. I know you floss like, you know, probably like every other day. You need to do it twice a day. Okay. Well, like with every habit, you have to do it consciously at first. Before it's comfortable, you have to force yourself to do it. Set an alarm if you have to, like with something like flossing. But you, you have to consciously do it. It will not be comfortable. It will feel very weird. And you have to do the habit and actually live the expression of the habit. So I had to powerfully choose to live in a state of acceptance of myself. And let me tell you, it felt very weird. Very, very weird at first. And the more I did it, the less weird it felt more automatic itself. And after time, each of the habits became cemented into my way of being. And now they're my default that I don't think about. Some of them only took me like a couple of months to get mastered. Present is the one that I have attention deficit disorder. That one has been a challenge for me, but I ultimately mastered it. It took me about a year, but only because I thought I was better at it than I was. I wasn't actually acknowledging, mm, no, you're, you're kind of bad. Oh, okay. So what kept you going, Laura, when you realized that it was harder than you thought? You set this ambitious goal. And I know that a lot of times when people talk about setting big goals and they want to double the size of their business in three years, or they want to do something that is harder than 
they initially anticipate. When you found out, for instance, that acceptance was much harder to live than you thought, it's like, hmm, I think a lot of people might have been tempted to change the goal or lower the standard. You kept the standard, you persevered. What kept you going? Well, the thing about acceptance, that particular habit is the more you do it, the more you believe in the goal. So they all have different impacts, of course, but you do get immediate benefit from each of them. It's hard, but you actually see the results right away. So I created this whole 90 day experience for myself. Others can get it if they want it. But I studied habit. And I was like, how are they created? Is it 21 days like marketers say or 30 days? It's not. So I built myself a 90 day program where I was committed and I refused to break the promise to myself, having been through sufficient pain as a result of never choosing these things before. I was like, "Mm -mm, I'm not breaking this promise to myself, even if it's weird. But the interesting thing is when you actually speak to yourself kindly, even if you don't fully believe it, part of your heart is rejoicing and it can feel better right away. And like when I was working on all of these six habits, I was better at some of them than others. And it kept me going. So I was speaking words of kindness to myself. I'd look in the mirror and be like, you look great today. I was going to go in a sales meeting. You can do this. You're going to be fine. You're going to crush it. I would accept myself. Be like, no, no, no. I don't need that expensive thing to make others happy. This is what I truly want. And I'm going to stick with this, even though it's weird and foreign. And I'm grateful for this moment. And all of the things have a collective elevating effect. So when you're living in the best expression for you of each of these six habits, you feel great. Even if it's weird, you feel great. I even skipped a few days when I was doing the, the 90 day thing because I got, I got sick. I got discouraged, you know, a couple of days. I had a big fight with my husband. Life happens. But I got back on the, the horse, I guess, because it felt really good. Even though they weren't habits yet, I was finally nurturing and giving myself what I needed. It's like giving water to a flower that's dying. It's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it really nourishes you from the inside out and creates its own internal momentum, doesn't it? It certainly does. It, it's great. It's like you really don't even need to manufacture the momentum. By virtue of doing it, you build up the momentum because it just feels so darn good. Did you happen to see John Krasinski's Some Good News, that eight-week series that he had put out in the spring? I am not much of a media consumer, so no. He created the series, and it was pretty interesting because it contained a lot of things that I thought you would find interesting. But I also remember that in your book, you wrote that you asked your aunt, who's one of the happiest people you know, why she was happy. And she said, I don't watch the news. It's all bad news. That kind of led you to make some decisions about the ways that you consume news and stay in touch with the world. How do you do that today? What do you focus on? How do you stay informed? And how do you do it in a way that stays true to the six habits? That is such a great question, and I'm so grateful you asked it. I will be the first one to tell you I'm absolutely abysmal at social media because I powerfully choose me and my sanity, and I don't enjoy social media because of the toxic effects that it has on my psyche. It triggers comparisonitis. It triggers feelings of things that make me feel insufficient, and it makes me like chase likes and stuff like that, which are not a good metric for life. So I am not good at social media, and I'm kind of proud of it, not helping me with my business, but it's helping me with my life. When it comes to the news, I don't consume the news whatsoever. But my husband does in 
a massive quantity. So my ability to be informed is kind of against my will because he tells me the news of what's going on in the world, whether I like it or not. <laughs> but I just get the headlines, so it's not so terrible. He's very conscious of when I establish a boundary. I've had enough. I don't want any more now. Okay. Just letting you know what's going on. Okay. Thank you very much. Sometimes I'll ask him what's going on. You know, other people can limit themselves to, you know, 15 minutes a day and they'll be happier. But I do recommend that people are not ostriches with their heads in the sand, but limit your news consumption to the best sources of clean information. So you're not getting just like loaded with toxic information, but also you're getting kind of the best without the conjecture and you can bottom line it quickly, get what you need, and then go about your day and go about your life. A lot of the things that exist in news and social media are ridiculously toxic and destructive to our well-being. And you don't even want to get out of bed if you can get really sucked down into some of the things that go on in the world. One of the filters I use, Laura, is I look at things and I say, is this something I need to know? And is this something I need to do something about? Or is it something that's outside my ability to control or influence? And if it's outside my ability to control or influence, I'm not going to put energy into it. It's just, okay, nice to know. This is a poll that was taken. That's interesting. It doesn't, it, it informs me, but it doesn't change my opinions. And I don't get worked up about things that way because if it's outside my ability to control or influence, I just have no business putting attention or energy into it. I wholly support and endorse that. My policy is kind of the same. When I'm on social media at all, I do see things. It's like, mm, is that going to improve my life? Nope. Do I have power here? Nope. Moving on. Laura, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? I absolutely am. At the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who influenced you growing up, and you talked about your dad. When you were a teenager, what's a song you found inspiring? I was really into Metallica at the time. Interesting, man. Loved it. I wouldn't say it was inspiring, but... Inspired a lot of headbanging in the backseat. <laughs> I never claimed to be cool. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> your mission with your book, The Six Habits, is to inspire people to realize that better is possible for each of us. What's the most effective way you find to get your mission out each week? Honestly, having conversations exactly like this, where I'm invited to have a conversation of substance, share value, and give people a glimpse into what's possible. If you think about the last six months, what's the best $100 or so purchase you've made? My robotic mop. Really? <laughs> there is such a thing? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Always ask a lazy person how to do things. Living in Kihei, in Hawaii, it's very dusty here, and I can't stand anything under my feet that feels less than perfectly clean hardwood floors. So I got a robotic mop that runs around and mops my floors for me, so my floors are spotless all the time. If you think about the last year, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I have stopped having a destructive relationship with food in finally getting in alignment with all of these habits. I've actually completely shifted my relationship with food to one of adoration, love, pleasure, and enjoyment. I don't restrict myself and I literally have whatever I want. I've lost weight, I'm healthy, I feel good, and food is no longer solace for me. It's not like off limits. I don't like, oh, you can't have ice cream. No, I can. And I, I just, God, it's amazing. I feel so free. So Laura, when people read The Six Habits and 
they sign up and they start to interact with you and ask you questions about it, what is it that most people don't get that you'd like to clarify now that helps people embrace and enjoy the six habits even faster than the book alone can offer? People often assume that it takes more time than it does, that you need to devote like a couple hours a day into doing this, and you really don't. Again, always ask a lazy person how to do something. And when I figured out how to actually acquire the mastery of each of these habits, I was pleased to discover that it's kind of something you do while you're living your life, not in addition to living your life. And that's probably the number one misconception. Oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, I can't take this on right now. Yeah, actually you can because this is a logistical requirement. And what you're looking at is if you truly want to take this on, you're looking at about 10 minutes a day. And then like you say, it's something that you just check in with to see if you're on course with the commitments you made for the day, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where like as you go about the day, there was a study done. No one can seem to find the source. Otherwise, I would tell you what it is. But there was a study done that talked about the quality and quantity of thought. We have somewhere around 60,000 thoughts in a day. About 57,000 of them are the same thoughts as the day before and somewhere around uh, I believe it was like 48,000 are actually negative. So if this is actually true, then this means that we have many, many opportunities throughout our entire day to catch ourselves and be like, wow, I'm totally taking this for granted right now. Ooh, here's an opportunity to be present. Ooh, can I use a little bit of an, an intention here? Can I maybe get some toxic energy in my life. Like we have an ongoing narrative in our heads that has opinions about everything we're doing and experiencing. We just need to train our heads, which, you know, you can do through the, through the work, through the stuff that I give you. We can train ourselves to like actually hear these things in the moment. And that's where it takes no extra time. It's like, oh, ooh, I just caught myself being unkind to myself. Well, let's read the work and do something better. Okay. And that's it. It takes no time. Well, Laura, you have shared your time with us today, and I want to thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. You started off telling me about your dad and how he made such a dramatic change in his life to simply choose to engage in life and enjoy all the pleasure of the relationships and experiences he has available to him in spite of the medical condition he has. You also shared about how difficult it was for you to come up with these things in the six habits, knowing that you had kind of taken a hard turn in your business and also gone down a road that didn't leave you feeling in the best physical shape, didn't leave you feeling very satisfied or fulfilled, and you knew that it required you to make some changes. You said, it, quote unquote, it had to, you, had, you had sold your soul to get there, and you had felt sick, and now you're in a state where you feel much prouder of how you feel physically, energetically, and just emotionally, how you relate with people. You emphasized how important it is for each of us to define happiness in our own terms. You shared about how you use the book as a way of storytelling and show that, listen, you don't have to have special advantages. You also revealed one of your secret weapons. In contrast to that, you have a husband who filters the news for you. And a lot of people will listen to that and maybe assign their spouse that job. For these and so many more reasons, I want to thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you. And Laura, before we say goodbye for now, where is it that we can find out more about you and your work online? If you visit thesixhabits.com, T-H-E-S-I-X habits, 
www.thrivingcreativeproject.com. You can find everything you need. Great. We will be sure to link to that in the show notes, as well as all of the other resources that people will find helpful as they go through your book, as well as your program. We'll make sure that it's super easy to find you online. So Laura DiBenedetto, the author of Six Habits, Practical Tools for Bringing Your Dreams to Life. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.